0: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. trying to get loose. He'll fire. He, he knocks it down.
1: Borrow slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Mercy. Sexton is inside.
2: Oh. A thunderous dunk. Thunder. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim.
1: Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cleveland Cavaliers' 10-game losing streak is over. They now have a two-game winning skid, maybe? I I don't know what you call a a two-game winning streak. Certainly not a skid, Justin. That's actually a (laughs) euphemism for losing streak. (laughs) And that helpful correction is from my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going, buddy? Going
0: lovely. The Cavs have won two games in a row, uh, one at the expense of our guest, Sorry, Brad, but uh, I, I'm happy. I'm having fun again. I did not want to carry a 15-game losing streak into the All-Star break, uh, and I am thrilled to have some uh, good news on the back end.
1: Yeah, that, that would be a pretty, pretty tough way to go about it. Um, we we booked this guest prior to the Cavs actually winning that game against the Hawks, but I could not be more excited to have, from Dime Up Rocks, from the Locked on Hawks podcast, Peachtree Hoops, and a million
2: other places, Brad Rowland. Brad, how's it going, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, and it was not the, uh, I would say, the expected result the other night, but it wasn't too shocking to me anyway. The way that ended maybe was a little bit shocking, but congratulations on the win. I'll say, oh, thank you. And I did want to
0: say, uh, as we, to get it out of the way, long been a fan of your work. I think every now and again, there are people who cover teams that kind of make you, uh, want the team to do well and you are definitely among those for me uh I, I very much enjoy your hawks coverage and i'm really really glad to have you on i think you've been on with justin before when i was skipping out on a week and i was i was jealous at the time i remember so i'm I'm happy to finally get uh you know my bite at the apple so to speak
2: no i appreciate you having me and i know i know i begged justin to come on my podcast at one point uh early on in the uh locked on hawks days so yeah our paths have crossed on the internet but uh, i'm happy to be here and uh, should be fun
1: yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're happy to have you here, obviously, and you said that it wasn't an expected result, and I agree with you to some extent, because the, the Cavs have been really banged up, they're just, they're, they're not the greatest team, even one fully healthy, obviously, um, a, kind of maybe a play-in team, or a fringe play-in team at best, but I need to credit Spencer Hoag's in our Discord, he pointed out that the Hawks haven't beat the Cavs since 2018, were you aware of
2: that fact, Brad? Uh, I did know that, uh, but only because I'm weird and look up all kinds of stuff throughout games and before games. But, yes, uh, I did know that, and uh, there were all kinds of sexton over young uh, memes flying at the end of the game or during the the game, all that stuff. So, yes, the Hawks have actually been kind of uh, at the mercy of the Cavs recently, and I made sure before the game started, I tweeted out a bunch of the ugly Cavs stats about the losing streak and all that. But, but of course, I said, look, guys, these are just numbers. I'm not guaranteeing anything. This is a Hawks team that could lose to anybody, and uh, they lost. So there you go. It, it's
1: funny because I, I think both of these teams are a little better than their record. Both have uh, dealt with injuries. Um, obviously, the the Hawks, two big uh, offseason acquisitions, have missed a, a considerable amount of time. Gallinari, I'm very grateful. He waited uh, to have his breakout game last night versus uh, um, instead of against the Cavs. What are your impressions though, kind of looking at Cleveland of the the young core that they put together and basically what they have kind of proven to this point in the season?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I like a lot of what they've done. Um, I was big on coro for instance, and he's a local guy from down here. I like that pick a lot. He fits what they need quite a bit. I think Sexton making a leap is big because I, I was not I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not the biggest proponent um, on the surface of having the Sexton Garland backcourt in basketball terms. I do. Like How dare
0: you not use the nickname?
2: Uh, listen, I was I was about to come back to that. I was coming around. Uh, <laughs> I, I do I do like that whole discourse. I'm I'm a fan of the ethos and all of that. But uh, the two small guard thing does scare me a little bit. But Sexton playing the way that he has, and really Garland being much better this year, obviously as you guys know, has been uh, helpful in making me kind of buy in a little bit more to what the Cavs are doing and I think Okoro has not been fantastic so far but I think he's flashed enough to where I still buy what I was seeing pre-draft from him Jared Allen's good they have the makings Uh, they obviously don't have a fully a fully formed uh, team at this point in time the whole Drummond saga is looming and all that but I think that the core guys are interesting they kind of fit together and as a longtime Jared Allen stan I like that move a lot as well so that helped and I think the, the future is pretty bright, even if the last, you know, 12 games, I guess the, the 10 games before these last two were pretty ugly.
1: Yeah, it was really ugly. I mean, that 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 stretch of basketball, it, it's I, I don't know if you've had a look at the teams they were playing over that stretch, but it was not a time where you want to be missing your, your best players and uh, basically without any power forwards. But um I, I think their
0: point differential on the season dropped by like four points yeah. over the course of that stretch it was insane they were like minus six which is not great and then they were like at minus 9.8 and i was like oh my god
2: i think they were minus what 21 during during the 10 game stretch something like that i, I pulled it for the oh, hawks average to, i think yeah, so, yeah to scare to scare hawks fans uh and fortunately, Hawks fans are beaten down in a way in which everyone responded to my ugly Cavs tweets before the game with, well, that means they're going to beat the Hawks. So <laughs> at least the fan base is very, very trained at this point to expect the worst. I do kind of want
0: to get a sense of kind of how you feel this this Hawks team is working because they were one of my favorite teams to fade. I think they were a popular, you know, in the betting community. I know they were very popular uh, to be a team that people were fading because of, it made a bunch of splashes, but the fit was a little inauspicious I think from the outside but you know they are four games under 500 but they got a positive point differential kind of where where do you stand on this team right now
2: you know I was kind of in the middle preseason I had them pegged for around 500 I thought they were going to be a playoff team this year um, on talent wise and a lot of that actually sort of ironically was Clint Capella who was not an acquisition they already had him on the roster but he hadn't played yet and he was the part that I liked the best of all the new guys the Hawks had because of the defense the Hawks were so bad defensively they have this young core and a lot, most of those guys were offense driven coming into the season but to this point like it's pretty easy to see why the Hawks are not as good as they probably were supposed to be at this point in time and you guys mentioned it but Bogdanovich being out for the majority of the season DeAndre Hunter was awesome and now he's been out for several weeks uh, Gallinari has been basically terrible until last night when he went nuclear against Boston so <laughs> those those three guys Basically, you know, giving them very little at times. I mean, Hunter was awesome early on, but then even like Chris Dunn, who they signed to help their defense, has not played a game this year. Rajon Rondo, that I didn't love that signing, but he's been hurt slash bad. So like all these new guys, the only one that's lived up to the to the, to the hype or even just kind of been on the court consistently is Capella and. You know, with that said, it's kind of interesting and I think they've been okay to hang around. Like nobody nobody's happy in Atlanta right now. I think that's kind of well documented. But they're in the middle of the playoff race still. And with all the injuries they've had, it feels fine to me. Like they they kind of went pretty far in to try to win this year in a way that I'm not sure was wise. But once they did that, it was like, all right, they'll be pretty good. I think they probably still would are pretty good when they're actually healthy. We just haven't seen that yet.
1: You you mentioned that you kind of felt that it wasn't necessarily wise for them to go all in in the way that they did in this past offseason. Is that kind of based on who they got? Is that some hindsight, kind of knowing just how weird this season is, and um, maybe it wasn't the the best timing to try to make a push and and wait for another year? Because I I look at the Hawks, and and the way that I feel about them, I really like their their drafting decisions. I think the only guy that I was kind of lukewarm about was uh, Cam Reddish, who I've come around on, uh, just seeing what he can do as a defensive uh, asset. Um, but what what was it about this offseason that you were kind of not thrilled with?
2: Yeah, it wasn't like it was terrible. It was just a little bit early, and they used all of their capital uh, in a way that was interesting to me. So I think mm-hmm. everybody knew around the team that they were going to do something to improve. And that started back when they traded for Capella last year at the deadline where they were not trying to win just yet, but they found this, you know, sort of underpriced asset in Capella. They traded for They traded a mid first round pick for him because Houston was trying to sell off and change their team. That was a great move. It worked out very well. He's playing very well. And then they looked ahead and they're like, all right, let's talk playoffs now. So from Lloyd Pierce <laughs> to the front office, everyone was saying, you know, playoffs, no, nobody said playoffs or bust, but that's definitely was like the outward goal for the first time in this rebuild. And after getting criticism last year from me and others for kind of just completely ignoring the supporting cast, they had a pretty terrible rotation of, like, outside of their core guys who were very, very young. All their supporting veterans were terrible, basically, last season. And instead of just upgrading a little bit and maybe plugging a hole or two, they decided to kind of go the opposite direction, and they used all their flexibility. So all their cat space all the way up and down is now gone for multiple seasons. Uh, that was controversial. I'm not sure it was terrible at the same time, but they gave out these, especially these two really big deals to mcdonovich a four-year deal um and a three-year deal to gallinari in which those guys are good uh, no question about it neither of those, neither of those deals are, are really bad on the surface they just didn't need, necessarily need to do both of them i didn't think they kind of went mm-hmm. a little bit overboard for right now prior to, prioritizing right now especially when you throw in you know two years for rondo which was a weird uh acquisition so it, they kind of just declared without declaring or actually in part by declaring that they wanted to win now and that's okay. And they made some moves to do that and they didn't kill themselves long term, but they also kind of hamstrung themselves for the next year or two where they could have had max cap space this summer. And now they have mm. basically none. So they were never going to sign like the number one guy. Of course, they never going to, you can't expect, expect that, but all their flexibility or at least a lot of it kind of went away and went offseason. season.
0: So one yeah. thing I'm kind of curious about in terms of the way that they've decided to build this team is you mentioned that the veterans last year were just brutal. And basically, you know, that that it, the thesis last year uh, among, you know, educated NBA fans seemed to be, you know, it's the same Trey Young that we saw at the end of that first year, but the supporting cast has just gotten significantly worse and thus they can't compete. Um, but, you know, when I look at the, the on-off numbers and you know, the win-loss splits, they seem to still go
2: as Trey goes. Um, do you think what do you take from that? Yeah, that's definitely the case. Uh I I think I tweeted about it the other day, and they're even more jarring this year. Like in wins, he's like he's like a 70% true shooting, some outrageous number. And in losses, it's like 50%. And there's a little bit of noise there. It won't be that big all season long, but especially right now without Bogdanovich, without Hunter, in particular, those two guys, and without Dunn and everybody else. It really has kind of gone back to, you know, they're bad when Trey sits. They're pretty good when he plays. And if he's good, they're going to win more often than not. If he's bad, they're going to struggle. And they kind of wanted to get away from that. That was – a lot of the reason to do what they did this offseason, particularly with Bogdanovich, I thought was to give them another option who could score uh, both on the ball and off the ball with or without Trey. Um, and and Hunter became that guy early in the season as well. Like Hunter's a guy they love, but he really was breaking out in a big way. And he was the guy that was kind of unlocking Trey in some ways and kind of letting the Hawks get away from just the all Trey all the time looks. And mm-hmm. those two guys going down at the same time kind of sends them back into Trey or bust mode on offense. So to your point, I think that last year, there's a lot of noise. Like they were so much better when Trey played than when he sat. And that's been the case now for two seasons to where it's hard to blame him for much of anything. Like he has his flaws as well, but he is not the reason why they have struggled really at all. In the last two seasons, they just have not been able to figure out now for two years, what to do when he leaves the court. And that's the biggest thing of all. There are ones There's when law splits, there's stuff when he gets trapped, there's all kinds of nuances, but from, rajon rondo to last year's uh evan turner experiment that failed spectacularly they just have not had any Forgot way about that <laughs> they've, yeah they've, they've had no way of creating offense when he sits and hopefully bogdanovich fix that fits that when he comes back or rondo finds his playoff form or something or any combination of the of the above but that's still the number one problem it's kind of wild after all this time
1: yeah and, and it's funny because i i agree with you that bogdanovich should at least be able to help like to me my my big thing with the hawks was i i thought that I would have liked the Bogdanovich signing or the Gallo signing I didn't really like both of them together yep partly because I I like the young guys and I thought that they needed to get those reps and it's always a, a fine line when you're talking about team building of surrounding um the the young core with enough veterans to help you actually be competitive and work through some of those growing pains and the, the other part is you don't want those veterans playing over the young core where they're not getting enough developmental minutes. Um, so I, I think it, it's good to hear that Bogdanovich is at least anticipated once he's healthy, that he's going to come in and start running some of the offense. Cause it, it seemed like the, the heliocentric offense had a bit of a moment in the NBA for a couple of years, but you're, you're seeing Milwaukee go away from it. You're seeing Dallas kind of stress that they need to get away from that with Luka Doncic. I, I think people just, Seeing it fail in basically every situation, our um, understanding that you need to have multiple ball handlers, which from a cast standpoint is part of why I really am kind of invested in the whole sex line backcourt because even if they get staggered at some point in the future, they're always going to have to learn how to play with one another. And both of those guys learning how to play off ball and create for themselves and others and, and create off the ball as well. um, I I think that's really important uh, for a young player's development, especially if they are going to be an offensive hub.
2: And even if you do the helocentric thing and the Hawks are still doing it, Trey still has sky high usage. They still build the ship around him in a lot of ways you still got to have another guy or two that can do something on the court offensively. And they have John Collins who's awesome, but John is not like a great short roll passer. He's more of a play finisher at this point. Capella's pretty good. Even if you had that guy and they, and that's part of the problem. Honestly, when Trey sits is that they've built the whole offense around him when he plays that not only do they have bad backup point guard play for the last two years, but they're also in a, in a, in a system. That's kind of built to run around a star. Yeah, I mean, we,
0: we know about that more than anyone in a way more fun capacity, which is when you have LeBron. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah.
2: And that's the whole thing. I mean, that, that that's the, the ever, the overarching question of like, obviously when you have LeBron, you'll take it all day long and it's, it's a, it's a small problem in the grand scheme, but you know, offenses are really hard to function if the entire ship is built around one guy and he sits like, that's kind of a natural thing. If you think about it,
0: do you consider yeah. this a solvable problem for them? Like in the sense of like, you know, it is just a matter of getting the kind of personnel like the the bogdans of the world and you know uh you know getting hunter back who was showing a lot more juice off of the bounce than i thought he was ever going to have um early on like do you think it's a, a matter of personnel for them or do you think that this is a a lump tray needs to take you know and
2: and, and he's got to learn to change his play style like like where, where is your brain on that i think there's probably a little bit of both there i would lean towards it being a solvable problem just because the personnel uh, I still believe that the biggest issue the last year and a half, two years for the Hawks has been personnel, has been guys they've signed or not signed or injuries. And it's not necessarily been scheme or Trey based. I think mm. ultimately Trey's going to have to figure out or be willing to buy in, it's probably more important, I would say, to the off ball stuff. He's not going to be Steph off the ball. He's not going to be whoever you want to say off the ball. But he's still in that mode now where he runs toward the ball. If he's off the ball, he wants to go, he wants to get a handoff. He wants to get the ball back. He's comfortable in that way. And that's, it's not a bad thing like in a vacuum because he's still a driver of good offense. When the Hawks, when he plays, the offense is good. Like full stop. Good. The numbers are all, you know, team wise, individual wise, all that stuff. But eventually I think part of the problem, honestly, this whole time has been, they haven't had somebody good enough for Trey to be like, okay, that guy's good enough for me to go off the ball and be okay with it. Now he's Mm -hmm. not said that, but in my mind, I feel like if they gave him another guy with him that he trusted enough to be like, okay, I think that guy's good enough to where I'll, now I'll go run a, I'll go run a split cutter, whatever I'm going to do off the ball.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's interesting to me. It's, Maybe that's a a good thing (laughs) looking at the Cavs. Maybe it's a good thing that most of their rookies seem to start off slow because none of them have ever really developed that kind of a complex. Like Colin Sexton uh, came into the league struggling like crazy. All the vets said, hey, this guy doesn't know how to play. And he kind of had to figure out how he fit into the the situation. Darius Garland, obviously, last year was a little bit of a write-off, not being healthy. Um, When when it comes to kind of team building in in the Eastern Conference, like – the, the reason I'm so interested in the Hawks is I always view them as the Cavs a year uh, away from now. Like, I, I kind of see that this summer is a, a time where the Cavs might have some more financial flexibility or at least more flexibility than they've had in the past. And they're going to have the opportunity to go all in. Do, do you think um, it, when you're looking at the Hawks going all in um, this past offseason, do you think the struggles they're having now is just solely injury based or does it have a little bit to do how they approached last season? Like the, the fact that they didn't really go through kind of the growing pains um, that young teams need to go through.
2: I think it's, you know, most of the issues have been personnel and availability, but they've also been bad in close games. They've been bad in fourth quarters. Mm. And that's the kind of stuff that young teams do. I mean, it's, it's not a satisfying answer for Hawks fans. You know, people are yelling and screaming every day about Lloyd Pierce and uh, how, how he's the problem and all this stuff. And it's, Maybe that's maybe that's true. I'm not saying he's Greg Popovich because he's not. But it's a situation where they have not, to your point, gone through the growing pains and had that season where they kind of have to battle through it. They were they were just bad for some and, years. And
0: ago. for what it's worth, Greg Popovich ain't ain't fixing that last possession against the Cavs.
2: Oh no. I mean, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's just why I mean that's, that's the one you guys saw for sure. But I mean the Hawks have been I mean truly dreadful in close games this year. Like their 0 mm-hmm. 8 in and, and Silvage games, they're just they're bad right now in fourth quarters. And part of that, I'm sure on some level is just being a young team, figuring it out. And they have some older guys. Now they have Gallinari, they have Solomon Hill or whatever, playing a small role, but the the bones of the team are still really young and they haven't had to compete like this at a high level. And I, I actually credit the Hawks for taking it as slow as they did in the rebuild um, I was afraid that last year they were going to overreact and try to win too quickly. And mm. they did it a year later, but a year later, they were probably more justified in doing so because Trey was even more established. You had more from John Collins, all that stuff. And they had Capella, all that. Um, so at the end, I, I think most of their being 14, 18 or whatever they are right now is personnel driven. But even, even then, I think I was relatively high on this team and I, I picked them for like 38 and 34 It wasn't like I had them, you know, being the third, being the three seed in the East this year, they're kind of not that far off from where they're supposed to be. And I think the combination of injuries and losing games, they probably should have won explains really all of that. Uh, I mean, the guys who matter have been good for them. Trey's been good. Collins has been good. Capella has been good. Hunter was good. So that's what matters to me really at the end of the day, because this year they're working to win the title, like making the playoffs. That's what they wanted to do. They probably still can, but, you know, what does that actually do? That's also another separate question is like, what does the 8C do for you in one season? And some people will tell you that it's huge and it might be, but
0: maybe we'll find out. I don't know. It, it's so funny hearing you talk about this because it is so much mirroring the conversation we're having on this podcast right now. Um, Obviously with a, a team that's maybe a little bit less successful than the Hawks right now, especially as of late, but you know, we're sitting here after they, you know, get stomped for the 10th straight game against Denver and we go, Well, Okoro, Garland, Sexton, and Allen are all playing good. So it's hard to be too worried that, you know, you're losing the the Jetty Osmond, Lamar Stevens
2: minutes. Um, That was was me last season. All all year long, I mean, really for two, maybe three seasons, but especially the the first two Trey Young seasons, I was basically doing an NBA draft podcast for most of the year because we all knew. I mean, it was all about what the young guys did and they weren't going to win and everybody knew it. So it's Mm -hmm. a very different and you guys covered a championship team. Like I covered in my, you know, whatever it is, career so far, if you want to call it that, I covered one team that made the Easter Conference Finals, as you guys saw, and it didn't it didn't end very well. <laughs> you guys went from covering a team that was literally in the finals every year to the rebuild. And I had a smaller version of that. It's just very different because you, yeah. you have to focus on the young guys who are the future, because if you try to grind through the eighth man veteran every night, like you got to acknowledge them, but man, it it just doesn't matter that much.
0: Yeah. And we've, we've said this a lot, you know, with someone like Jetty who uh, has become something of a punching bag, I think on among the fan base, it's like, listen, he's getting paid like a ninth man. So, you know, you can't lose your mind if he's being press ganged as a starter at the four and he's not doing well, you know, that's, you know, you have to kind of level set there. I am interested in what you said though, about the fact that we did get to cover a championship team and a championship team in a rebuild rebuilding phase, I think leads to at least a different set of expectations for these two podcast co-hosts. You know, I'm seeing a lot of uh, discourse, especially when the Cavs are doing well early about people uh, outside of the cabs fan sphere talking about, you know, sex lands ceiling in the playoffs and you know, whether they can hang or not, or whether they're going to get blown up. And I think Justin and I have been uniformly like, we don't care. Let's just get there first. Let's get good first. And then we'll solve these problems later. And I think part of that might be a little bit of a like championship privilege. Like we just want a title. So we're just happy to, we just want a fun team again. Like in in your coverage of the Hawks, like how much, how much like brain space are you devoting to Trey young in the playoffs? Is he going to get just destroyed to the point where, there's a hard ceiling on this thing. Are you kind of in the headspace? Justin and I are in which are let's just get good first and we'll worry about being great later.
2: I would say closer to where you guys are, you know, in the off season or occasional I have somebody on that's a more national person. We'll, we'll go big picture. and It'll be a little bit more about the future of, and there is conversation to be had about a small guard being your best player and building the whole thing around a small guard and how that is uh Difficult. It's not impossible, but your wiggle room is obviously a lot smaller. And there's the whole thing about Trey for Luca and that whole conversation that happens. And I try to avoid as much as possible can because it just got so overdone for a long, long time. But yeah, there's a little bit of that, but I'm closer to where you guys are, where like, look, they got to be good at some point. Um And it's a little bit different in Atlanta because they haven't won a title and, you know, in the franchise's history, they won one in St. Louis before they got to Atlanta, but they've never, they've never even made the finals. So Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of difference there. But honestly, the biggest thing that I heard the whole time, even going back to when they were good in the Al Horford, even before that, the Joe Johnson years was, there's a big segment of this fan base that just wanted a star. And now Mm -hmm. they have one. So those people are really happy on some level because they have a guy that is their guy who's a star and they have a 30 point scorer who has endorsements and all that stuff. And they haven't had that guy in 30 years. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. They have not had that guy in basically my, almost my entire life mm-hmm. since Dominique.
0: Is Dominique the last one? Yeah, I would. Have yeah, I mean, may,
2: maybe you, maybe you could say Matumbo. Because he was a very like you know yeah, the, the finger, the, the and all finger wag all that stuff. Like, he's still a center. Like it's still, he was still a defensive first center. Like he was a very in a league guy.
0: saturated with really really good centers at the time. What was right, he, and the eighth best center of that era, and that is no slight to him.
2: Yeah, I mean he's he's a Hall of Famer. I mean Joe Johnson was really good for a long time, but they they haven't had the guy like that since. You, you are Sill. you are forgetting
1: one though. You're, you're you're forgetting the 2015 Player of the Month.
2: Oh, all all five of them. Yeah. No, listen, I will, I will take no slander. The Hawks were incredible in 2015. And then I want uh, you to
1: apologize. I want you to apologize on this podcast for that player of the month award. (laughs) I I will not. I I I just want, I just want, Brad. I just want you to think about this. (laughs) I
0: just want you to think about, you know, you're, you're, you're looking through basketball reference with your children, you know, 20 years from now. And they say, dad, why was that?
2: (laughs) Was there a, the team?
0: Why are there the five of the month? players?
2: Why are there five <laughs> players listed here? No, listen. Uh, even as someone who was in the middle of that frenzy, it was a little weird when it happened. I'll be honest; I thought it was mm-hmm. kind of cool. It's just weird. The whole thing is, but go go back to the original point about like expectations. Like, yeah, I'm a little worried about a small guard being the face of the franchise if you're a Hawks fan. But at the end of the day, like, this is you guys. You'll, you'll appreciate this. One of the one of the people that I've argued about this with offline uses uh like the negative comparisons that, that they try to use are like really awesome players like i'm mm. like i've heard somebody argue this with me and they're smart i'm not trying to pile on but it's like well what if they're just the day in blazers and i'm like what if what if they're a playoff team for a decade with an awesome guy that everybody loves like that would be cool i mean it's not yeah i the would blazers have not be the
0: blazers are, Brad. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you I know would, what i, I mean
2: though them. like like i understand both sides because on one end the entire time that Dame has been there, he's been incredible and they've never once been an actual contender for a title the Mm -hmm. entire time. So that's, that's unfortunate, but on the flip side, they've also been good pretty much the whole time. So on one hand, you could argue that's kind of what the Hawks were before this, when they made the playoffs 10 years in a row, like, and people hated it, Mm -hmm. not everybody, but a lot of, a lot of the fans hated it because, and I, this is me editorializing a little bit here, but I think part of that was that they felt like without a star, they just couldn't win. And I do understand that on some level. So it's interesting now that the Hawks have a star, but it's a star that might be a little bit limited. I think he's an awesome player, an awesome prospect, but he's not, you know, the perfect carve you out of stone guy that you'd want in the playoffs. So it's really interesting to me. But at the end of the day, if they're just good for a long time with Trey Young and they don't win a championship, that's not a failure in the You're, way that some might frame it, you know?
0: You know what I think is interesting is, like, we you you mentioned, like, you wouldn't carve him out of a, you know, stone kind of star. Who is, really, you know? Like, yeah. Paul George looks like a carve-you-out-of-stone star, and he's not good enough to do it. It's uh, it's as, more, as, it's as more, the more just the wing
2: thing. I mean, you guys know this, but the... But you know what I mean? Like, at like l- a certain point...
0: T- <laughs> Like you just need to have LeBron Durant hard, you know, at the very, very tippy tippy top. Well, you know like, this.
2: It's, it's that's that's it's less what, that's about the, that's the NBA. build. No, yeah, it's not. It's yeah, easy. it's it's not the build. But but to to that same point, you know, go list the go list the guys who are six foot one point guards that have been the best player on championship teams in the last thir- three decades. They don't exist. Like the mm-hmm. only the only guy is is Steph, who's two and a half inches taller and the best shooter of all time. So yeah. and and even then, it was Iggy and KD, right? i I love this podcast no uh i mean you honestly you have to go back to isaiah thomas and even then that team was like it was the bad boys they were built for defense all that stuff it was i mean he was he's a hall of fame player but that's that's 30 years ago like Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean it can't change but it it is it is unequivocally more difficult to win a championship if you are building the entire thing around a 6-1 guard it's just he could be as good as he could possibly be and it's still a little bit harder because of that's just the reality of it only yeah, one and, team and, I mean, gets to win, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's, again, that's part of why I, I find this so interesting, kind of comparing these two teams. And my biggest thing when it comes to team building, and I, the way I like to frame it is, so many people rush to have second contract conversations. And I, I feel like that's what a lot of this is when you're talking about what a ceiling is for a team. And I don't think hitting a ceiling or having a ceiling is necessarily a bad thing. The issue becomes do you recognize that ceiling at the time? Because you can go out and you can consolidate talent. You can make moves at that point in your developmental process that can help elevate you. I you look at the Utah Jazz. I, I think they kind of Brushed up against their ceiling and then they made the move for Mike Conley, which helped open things up for them. They did a few other smart moves on the margins. Uh, Toronto hit a ceiling and they consolidated their talent for DeMar DeRozan. So for me, I I just think that so many of these conversations are rushed in today's NBA. And really, there's so many opportunities that open up for you down the line uh, from a team building standpoint that... You really just got to worry about getting there, maximizing the talent that you currently have, and then you can make those evaluations along the way. Once you've failed in the playoffs, once you've come up short, like it, talking about that in the first three years uh, for <laughs> yeah. a player seems insane to me,
2: it, and it is. I mean, we're all, I'm guilty of it too. We've all we've all done it, but oh, yeah. I think I think that I think the dwelling on it is what gets me a lot of the time. Where there are just certain conversations that I'm just kind of done having that people would just mm-hmm. want to have over and over again about trade in particular for me as someone who covers him, but not, not just trade. They're all around the league where it's like, you want to discuss, you know, this team's ultimate ceiling in year one of what they're doing and around young guys too, in the middle of a rebuild. And I, I get it on some level because everyone wants to win championships and it's hard to do, but I think Carter said it like only one team can win the championship. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I sympathize with championship robust mindset because I cover a team that's never won the championship. And it's it's hard. and a lot it's of it's certainly a lot
0: easier after you've won one. I'll say yeah.
2: that. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, you have to have things go very, very well for you to do that. So I I in the rebuild, I, I did lean early on, and I still probably would as like a tiebreaker. I would lean toward upside and like title winning upside because mm-hmm. that's the point of rebuilding in a lot of ways, is to like give yourself a chance. But it's just a chance. Like you have to still keep things in perspective to say that. You know, if you're the fifth best team in the league for a while, that's still good and it's fun. And the process is a lot of what we all love about the sport. Like, you can't just be Tyler bust in, in, in every franchise. Yeah, if you're if you're the current Nets and you go crazy all in and trade your entire future for this three man core, yeah, you're all in. It's Tyler bust. Like that. Mm-hmm. That. But that's one scenario. Like, you didn't build that team from scratch. If you're the Clippers right now with Kawhi and PG and the way they did all that yeah I get it like you need to win a title because of how crazy you went to get these guys but if you're starting from the bottom and you're trying to rebuild this thing it's it's not Tyler bus. it just it can't be yeah I, I agree and there's so many
1: examples like the the Blazers are a great one of a really entertaining team and I mean at the end of the day like the, the amount of hours that we put in watching these teams and the amount of hours our listeners put into watching the Cavs and then listening to this podcast like you want to have an entertaining product and that's an important thing and I, I look around the NBA, like one of those teams that's probably up against their ceiling and they kind of have to make a decision, in my opinion, is the Denver Nuggets. Like I, I feel like if they don't make a move, they're, they might end up kind of stalling out and, and not reaching that contender level. When you talk about team building, though... Um, Did the change in lottery odds kind of change your perception in how you felt the Hawks should approach it? Because I know for myself, it really changed how I feel about how the Cavs should tackle team building because I'm looking at this season and like, yeah, they're they're not, they're pretty high in the lottery odds currently, but I feel like for the rest of the season, the goal should still be trying to make the play in because I I still think there's going to be enough growing pains that you're still going to deal with the inconsistency of having young guys initiating so much of your offense. You're probably still going to have decent lottery luck, but the fact that the odds are flattened kind of make me value the team building aspect and the player development aspect versus, okay, we just need to find a way to get as many lottery balls as possible.
2: Yeah, I can see both sides. I definitely think that it's because of the odds changing, they do kind of lean to what you're saying there. Um, It's easier, especially if you already have a guy you're building around. I think the other way, the look at it, that I would use as a counter is if, if you're just starting your rebuild and you don't have a guy to build around, you need a guy to build around. You know, like Mm -hmm. even if it's just not the perfect guy, you, you, you need some talent to make to provide hope for the fans to provide a skeleton for your team building all of that stuff and if it's early on i would kind of lean more towards still you know trying to get ping pong balls if mm-hmm. possible but there's kind of a breaking point and honestly the hawks timed this kind of poorly in retrospect and that's not their fault but as they started to rebuild is right when the lottery odds changed like mm, they kind of got unlucky They kind of got lucky with that. Can relate,
1: man. Can relate. So
2: uh, you know, and the Hawks had kind of decided to do it, and then the lottery odds changed like right then. So it was really kind of not what they wanted it worked out and that they uh, have a honestly star, i i wish but... they
1: changed a year prior uh, a year earlier because then we would have had the nets pick under the current odds which would have had a better <laughs> chance of jumping up yeah. and snagging luka
2: that, that uh, as we consistent. always say
0: Cavs just get no luck in the lottery I, yeah, yeah honestly, the Cavs
2: are brutal lottery luck uh the hawks have never, I've never had the number one pick in the lottery you know lottery. what i'm, I'm going to
1: defend that take they have had bad luck because when they got Kyrie, that was the Clippers pick. <laughs>
2: when they, they, they okay, so just stop. This is, this is, this is preposterous, Justin. Come on. You, you cannot, you cannot Brad, You're on it. our I podcast. Have, our I, listeners want to hear this. I know. Honestly, I couldn't keep a straight face throughout. Listen, it. Pro, I, 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 propaganda is fun sometimes. I, I, I totally understand. Just we're team owned, um, baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. We'll say, listen, that's what happens. But no, it, it, the Hawks have been. Pretty unlucky. I think it's a little bit overrated how unlucky they've been in the in the lottery, but they haven't been lucky. They've never won a lottery, mm-hmm. and when they've gotten the number two pick, they've messed it up. uh When they've gotten high picks, they've messed a couple of them up as well. But they never won the whole thing, uh, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate in some ways. But I don't know. The whole thing about lottery now is that there's been there is a benefit to being the worst of the worst team in the league. And that you can cap your floor. It's always more about that for me is cap your floor in the draft. But if you're a team that's not, you know, competing for like quite literally the last spot in the NBA, the flat nods make it interesting. And they do give you some incentive to try to win. And I think the play in, while I don't think it's the greatest setup in the world for the, for the league, I think it is probably going to help competitive balance. And it's going to help, especially, you know, in a normal season, it'd be April, but this year it will be May where there's, there's always a bunch of terrible games and there'll be, there'll still be some, but I think the product overall will be better because teams won't sell as easily. Um, There'll be fewer teams that are just completely punting on seasons and punting on full months of seasons. So overall for the sport, I think it's good too, that, that the odds are flattened, but team building wise, I can kind of see both sides, but I mean, without a doubt, any incentive to compete is a little bit higher than it was before, because, you know, you don't have a reason to be quite as bad, and that's that's so, probably good overall.
0: So it's actually funny that you mentioned the play-in because I actually feel like one of my big grumbles, and I still remain anti-lottery reform. I still don't like it. <laughs> I don't like the, uh, I, I don't like adding more randomness into the rebuilding process because you know even even good organizations need luck, um, but I don't like that you know an, a, a greater injection of luck is now required and it's more it's just more random one thing i really didn't like about the reform was that it actually incentivized teams at the 10 9 8 range to not try at the end of the year if they were out of the playoff race so they could move their way into odds and which means you didn't just have the worst teams in the league tanking that no one was watching anyway now you had mediocre teams tanking that (laughs) people were watching um and uh, that's actually one thing I like about the play-in. I think the play-in actually really helps counterbalance that, where if you're on the periphery and you're right on the edge of the playoffs, I think 28, 29 owners in the league are going to say, give me that playoff revenue. you got to go try to get there. Um, and, and, you're, and, and,
2: and, your, and your fans will do it. I mean, your fans will not be thrilled. If you are the 9 seed totally one, agree. and you try to tank your way to 11, like that, that's not going to go over super well. I don't think, I mean, no. maybe, maybe there'll be the, the outlier, you know, more, you know, process minded people that might like it, but in general, I think fans are not going to take well to try to take out of the plan just because you're, you're already kind of bad at that point. Like if, if you're the, tw- if you're the 11, if you're the 10, 11 seed in the, in the East, for instance, like you're probably bad. So mm-hmm. like taking out of that, like, especially because if you make the plan, if you lose, you're still in the lottery.
0: Yeah. <laughs> which is yeah, not we, like, we've we've been joking that for a while that like almost the best version of the Cavs is fight their way into the 10th spot and lose but, then, but and then lose the lose. first game. Yeah. <laughs> so you're this still cuz in is the one East you're beautiful. probably like 7th I think right yeah, now. Yeah,
1: exactly. This is where it really helps to be in the Eastern Conference because when you are the 10th, you're basically 7th in the lot of odds, which still gives you like a almost like a 40% chance of jumping up into that
2: top 4. So Well, uh, the like, I mean the East is so bad. jumbled right now that uh you know, anything could happen. I think there's, there's like a four game uh, gap between like four and 14 right now in the East. Yeah. I I mean, the Hawks
1: are like game out of eight. Uh, The Cavs I think are like three games out of the playing spot. Um, Like it's ridiculous how how tight it is. And I, I think it's going to normalize a little bit in the second half of the season, but it's a really, really weird year. I will push back a little bit because you said the Hawks haven't had a lot of lottery luck. You got, Carter and I's absolute draft crush in the uh, Kong Obviously he's kind of off to a slow start this season. He, he did not make an impact at all in the minutes he played against the Cavs, uh, working his way back from an injury. How, how did you like that pick and, and what's your kind of outlook uh, on him as a player?
2: Yeah, it's, it's been a rough one so far for him. It's also very explainable. He's, he's very young. Um, he missed, he was, he was hurt when they picked him and they knew that. Um, and then you have the the pandemic off season, no summer league, you you, you guys know the drill at this point, but he yeah. was already he was injured with that as well on top of everything else so he didn't even have training camp he didn't get to play at all. And suddenly, when he gets healthy enough, he hasn't played meaningful basketball in, you know, 10 months or something like that when he was trying to finally get on the court. Um, and it shows like he's not he's not been good. He's not, He's had some flashes. I like I liked him as he looked like the game was going
0: pretty fast for him against the Cavs.
2: Yeah. And that's how it's been a lot. I mean, he's had a few better, better nights than others, but he's not, you know, I think the Hawks have even said on the record a couple of times, like coaches and players that they kind of know he's not ready right now. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not a bad thing. Uh, they also don't have, don't have anybody else to play. So he's gotta, he's gotta get out there and play 10 minutes a night at, at backup center, which is probably good. Like throw him in the deep end, see what happens, but don't have, he doesn't have to play too much. And that kind of tells you actually about the about the pick itself. A lot of Hawks fans didn't like it because they had just traded for, traded for Capella and they had Collins. And it was this very short, um, sort of short-term vision of that pick because in fairness, I think part of this had to do with they were rebuilding for so long that Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter were all first you know top 20 picks. They all, come, they all came in and played a ton right away. And the Hawks fans were used to that. And I think the concept of, we're using the number six pick on a guy who isn't going to play a lot in year one was like just foreign to everybody. Mm -hmm. I I tried to stress, like, look, now that you're trying to win and it was in concert with the Hawks saying to anyone that will listen, that they were going to try to win. Now, nobody they picked. I mean, maybe, maybe Tyrese Halliburton is the guy that everybody's pointing to now and I get it. It's still early for that, but yeah, he would, he would have helped them. He was a good, he's a good player. I, I wouldn't have minded that pick, but you're not picking at six for the rookie season is my, mm-hmm. that was what I always kept saying. And yeah, it was a little bit weird to draft a congo when you just had Capella for three years under contract and you have Collins and all that stuff. But I had him as my best player available on my board. Now I'm not sure I would have taken him, but I said the whole time, look, he's so good at six. If you don't have to trade up, you can just sit there. He's still there. Taking him is totally fine. And I, I think Probably it's agree. A perfectly defensible pick. Um, I like him long-term. I think, I think he's a good fit long-term with Trey young. And when you're building around one guy, having someone like a congo who's really versatile defensively is going to be really helpful, I think, for the Hawks long-term. And yeah, right now, most of my mentions about him are yelling about Halliburton being awesome and how the Hawks should have taken him, which is kind of what I always happens. There's always one guy, maybe two guys every, in every rookie class. Last year was Tyler Hero. Yeah, and, exactly. And- I mean, and Halliburton, uh, to be fair, Halliburton was a guy who fell too far and everyone knew it in the moment. Agreed. Whereas, like, Tyler Hero was just a guy who, like, got pick where he's supposed to get picked for the most part Halliburton like could have gone in the top five and I wouldn't have been surprised and he fell all the way to Sacramento and all that stuff and yeah the Hawks maybe they would have liked to have Halliburton at this point I don't know but it doesn't bother me it's still so early yeah in a year from now if Okonwu still looks like this I'll be a little worried but right now he looks fine I like that pick I like him and uh, we'll see what happens but it's kind of nice to not have to not have to again have to throw out you're a rookie for 30 minutes a night. <laughs> it's like, well, Especially uh, centers, like yeah.
1: centers take a long time. Like the, the fact that Jared Allen's 22 and already producing at this level is absurd. But like, when you look at Okong Wu, the comparison we made was like a better Tristan Thompson and like a lot of centers outside of like the, the really, really special ones. Usually it's like 23, 24 before they start entering their prime. So uh, I think having Capella as a mentor, uh, as someone that's going to take some of the load off of him, I, I think it's going to work out for you guys in the long run. And, As you mentioned, the season's so weird. Like this was always a draft class coming in where they said, this is going to take time. Like this class would have taken time under normal circumstances, but with COVID, and you, you you get a little banged up, all of a sudden you're playing four games in like seven days, or or in six days in some instances. Like it's just a, an absolutely crazy season. You did mention John Collins, and I, I do want to ask you about him before we wrap this thing up. I knew what, it was coming. I knew it was coming. Yeah. So he. I, I mean, I've been jo- Justin's about to get thirsty, Brad. I, I've I've been really really thirsty about him. Um. I, I don't <laughs> I don't want to enter into tampering territory, but what what do you think is going to happen here? Uh, with John Collins, so how how do you
2: anticipate the Hawks approaching this? As we're now a month away from the trade deadline, you'll not be surprised that every time I've done a podcast visit with someone that is not a Hawks person, they, they this want is John Collins, the main topic. Yeah, I mean, from yeah. uh, all over the league, I won't, I won't, I won't name. We're all really teams, respectful. But, we waited uh, to the end. I, no, I appreciate it. No, is honestly, this is tough because the combination of not being around the team this year, as nobody is, um, and the situation makes it really hard for me to project. And I'll be open about that. I, I don't know what they're going to do here. I have some insight into it. And Dude, it's that, it's, that uh, sorry to cut you off, but that is my favorite
1: answer on this podcast. Cause we like to really value saying we don't know when we
2: don't know. <laughs> so yeah. The fact I, that you said that I, I love it, man. It doesn't do me any good to come on here and be like, well, I know for sure. No, I, I don't, I don't know. I have, I hear things like everybody else does. And the situation is really complicated without doing the whole spiel that I would do on my show. Um, they have collins they they don't have cap space anymore as i, as I alluded to earlier they kind of vaporize their cap space mm-hmm. to where it puts them in this weird spot with collins where if they want to keep him, they can do it but if they don't keep him, they don't have a way to replace him in free agency because they don't have cap space anymore yeah. um that's one thing um the other thing is there, there are enough rumblings around about how the hawks aren't necessarily in love with paying him a top dollar sum that i kind of believe that i'm not going to tell you i know it's for sure but if he goes out there in in free agency and gets a max offer sheet the hawks might still match it but they won't be thrilled i don't think to do so Mm -hmm. i think they he's right in that sweet spot where like everyone knows he's good the hawks like him they obviously drafted him this is the same front office by the way that drafted him uh and i think everyone knows he's really good but there's that little gap between like okay like for instance they offered him 90 million or so in an extension over four years, which is a lot of money, mm-hmm. but 90 million versus the max is a fairly decent gap. And that gap and, and, and is. To, big.
0: To, and to add a little onto the spread, these are the same conversations we're going to have with about Colin Sexton next year. I yep. guarantee oh, you yeah, this almost is going to get almost uh, contentious on cat Twitter. So I, I do think there's a lot of connectivity here for house fans, but go yeah, ahead and it, continue. It, Sorry.
2: No, it's okay. It's, it's one of those, it's one of the things that I've, I've kind of said on my show, I'm pretty anti giving out uh, rookie extensions to non superstars like actual like definite max guys because the value is not really there usually like most of the time it happens this way like collins and his and his agents wanted a lot of money as they should have but the hawks didn't have a reason to give out an extension because they have they have his team control it's a year early um you're taking on all the risk if you do that so i don't know at the end of the day the decision the hawks have to make in the next month or less now is basically in my mind this is too simplistic but it's kind of this are we okay giving him the max this summer Mm -hmm. because they might be able to give him for less than that that's definitely on the table but if i'm the hawks and and i look at free agency john collins has a pretty good chance to get a max or near max offer sheet from multiple teams because he's one of the better free agents available he's 23 years old he fits team. yeah i mean to, to that point like most of the team's that are set up to try to get Giannis Collins would make a lot of sense for, and he's not as good as Giannis. Everyone knows this, but there's a bunch of teams that have a lot of, that have a lot of money and he fits a lot of those teams where the worst thing the Hawks can do is let him go for nothing. Mm -hmm. So if, if they decide right now, look, we don't want to pay John a hundred plus million dollars, then you got to look at trading him and it's not going to go over well. And I don't think I w I wouldn't love that personally as someone who's nervous. I think Collins is really good. I, I, I would want to keep him. But that's the, that's really the decision. It's like, okay, it's not whether John's good or not. It's do we, are we okay matching an offer sheet for max or near max money? And if the answer is no, maybe be proactive. I think right mm. now they're listening on him as they should, and the asking price that's been reported is pretty high, and it should be. I mean, he's really good. But they're in this weird spot now where, yeah, it would be sort of incongruent to trade him right now as you're trying to win because any trade you make with John Collins in season is going to make you worse.
1: Yeah, almost no, without. No. I mean,
2: I can't. I can't find a deal around the league, and I've tried that makes sense to me. That makes them better. Walter and John Collins
1: in yeah. in season. No, that, that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I I guess there's always the sign and trade seem to be a little more in vogue now. Like that they're happening a little more often. So you I, can I
2: do them but what what point. are you gonna? I mean, you might be able to get a, a trade exception. You could get maybe a maybe a pick.
1: <laughs> the, the Danny Ainge
2: trade exception. Yeah, but and, and there's value, in that that's better than losing for nothing. So if you get all right. the way to the end and he gets this, like you know three plus one with trade kicker like the worst possible contract for you mm. and you can do it and you can do a sign trade instead like yeah it's better to get something for him but the hawks have been bad at this i mean they've lost in the last half decade they've lost a bunch of guys for nothing that were mm-hmm. good players paul mostap left for nothing al horford left for nothing like these guys they've, they've been tim Arway jr even who isn't like on that level but he got a huge offer sheet and they they were right now they were right not to match it but they've lost a bunch of free agents for nothing and they didn't need to do that. They, they could have been proactive and trade. I mean, the one time ironically on, on this podcast, the one time that they traded a guy proactively, was Kyle Corver mm-hmm. to yeah. Cleveland. That's yeah. the only time this, whole, this entire regime where they've been and like, thank you Look, for that, by the way, we're going to, we're, we're going yeah, to sell off. It was Kyle. And within two weeks, basically after that, the owner was like, no more of that. Cause they were going to try to trade Paul Mulsap and all that stuff. And they were like, Nope, no more of that. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. But I, I would bet on, um, if you made me choose, I would bet on him staying through the season. That's the most confident that I am is that he won't be traded. He still could be for sure. Yeah. But that's the thing I would, I would bank on the most, but then whatever happens this off season, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm less certain. We'll say,
1: yeah, it's going to be a crazy off with so many teams kind of saving up for this off season. Now those guys are off the table. I mean, that that's, It's part of why I think Andre Drummond's going to have a little bit of of a market now because it kind of gives any team that's looking to spend money on him an inside track or um, even those teams that are waiting for a buyout. Like if you think that he's going to get bought out, you're not going to beat the Brooklyn that's on on the buyout market, (laughs) right? Like so you might as well actually trade for him and the the price isn't going to be that high. I mean, you got traded for expirings in a second last year. So I, I think that's why it's likely going to end in a trade versus a buyout. Now, final question before I get you out of here. Really appreciate your time, Brad. Um, looking at the Eastern Conference right now, Cavs and Hawks are kind of the two teams. And of course, I got my Cavs bias that I, I say those are kind of the up and coming <laughs> teams that, that I value. I really want the rivalry to be back. I'm looking forward to another Cavs-Hawks rivalry. Is there another young team in the East that kind of sticks out to you um, as a potential rival? Or do do you also buy into what the Cavs are, are doing, at least in terms of becoming a playoff team in the near future?
2: Yeah, they had, there's a lot of natural rivalry stuff there between you know Colin and Trey being in the same draft class, same position, the history with the two teams. That's a pretty natural one. Um, in terms of young teams, it's actually it's really weird. If you, look at, if you look at standings in the East, you have all these teams that are pretty good, but they're kind of older. Right, and then maybe the one that I throw out is Charlotte. Mm-hmm. because of LaMelo just honestly it's just because of LaMelo I mean Gordon Hay- <laughs> Gordon Hayward's good too but he's an older guy but LaMelo is the kind of guy where he could be a star for a long time so he would be the one factor I mean you look at you know Detroit not really Washington's not really young they have some young guys but Orlando yeah I, I think I think it's the, the the young upcoming teams Cleveland and maybe Charlotte and again I, I just like LaMelo a lot I had him number one on my board he's really good already and they have enough like you know flexibility plus Hayward to be pretty good for a long time so that'd be the other one that I would circle I guess you know what that is some professional level pandler,
1: pandering oh my god uh, I did not go professional in executing that sentence but you know what <laughs> it's the end of the podcast you can make mistakes most people aren't listening now anyways you you got us in your top three young teams, so I, I really appreciate that if you Listen, guys appreciate-
2: look, look at the standings I'm, I'm not even just trying to pander right now like the teams that are good are older it's just what right. it is
1: yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. I, I'm just glad that you share my viewpoint because uh, I'm a crazy person. Like, I, I understand what I am. Uh, if you guys appreciate Brad as much as we do, make sure that you guys are checking out Locked on Hawks and giving him the same love and support that we ask for our podcast, which is leaving that rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. It's the number one way to support any podcast you care about. If you guys also want to support us, you can uh, do so by um, sending a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com and we'll send you a link to our exclusive discord chat um brad do you have anything else that you want to plug at this time
2: no that that's the you did a great job selling my podcast in a better way than i possibly could have uh <laughs> locked, on, locked on hawks is is the best place to support all of that stuff and occasionally i write about the rest of the league over at dime which i know you mentioned earlier and uh you know occasionally some Cavs stuff i, I wrote very positively about the calves I, I do power rankings for dime um mm-hmm. this uh every week. I did a very, very positive Cavs thing early in the season. And then they lost a bunch of games after that. So maybe it's my fault. <laughs> We're coming back, baby. Second
1: half's going to be our time of year. <laughs> Thank you go. so much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you, man. Make sure you guys are following them on Twitter at BT Roland. Um, we'll have his bio in the description and all of that good stuff. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go Cavs.